the voice we'll be hearing today is all the way from the Church of Pentecost. His name is synonymous to Pastor Hammond and Pastor Jamesa in this church. Uh, his elder Amos Kevin Annan is a deputy national director for the Church of Pentecost, and he is also a counselor at the Pentecost University. I wouldn't tell you whether he's married or not, because you know this podium will not be entertained by anybody else, but a qualified person. So I'll leave it at that. You experience him because my encounter with him was on radio, and uh, that was it. Are we there in our Bible, First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 to 20? Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitutes? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? He who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Amen. Praise the Lord, saints. Shall we please pray? Our dear Lord, we thank you for this moment of grace. It's a time, O oh Lord, that your word goes forth and be a blessing to your people. Where there ought to be correction, correction would occur. Where there ought to be rebuke, rebuke would occur. And where encouragement is needed, Lord, may it be so. This is what we ask. As I humble myself before you and ask that you use me as a vessel of honor to carry your word. Thank you, Lord, for in your name we have prayed. Amen. I'm grateful to God for senior pastor's life, um, and then the team of pastors, uh, Reverend AJ, that I haven't seen in a long while. Reverend Doctor, good to see you again. Uh, Pastor Hammond and I have been in communication for quite some time now with respect to our coming here and to be part of the service today. I want to thank God for your lives and also for the grace that has been given to you to make it to church. And for those who are part of family life, I am grateful to God for your lives, for considering us and worthy as we are, except on account of grace, uh, to be part of this very important conversation around marriage and being single. Um, we're looking at sexual purity in and outside marriage. 
sexual purity in and outside marriage. I had gone to an international school to address the young people on their sexuality. And when I finished and opened the floor for questions, a 16-year-old girl stood up and asked, is marriage necessary today? And there's a 16-year-old girl who's been soliloquizing on the subject of whether or not marriage is anything worth pursuing today. And having worked with young people for nearly three decades, August 10th will be exactly three decades since I started working with young people. I took notice of the girl and decided to have a conversation with her. And I was really taken aback her experience. Her first experience was when she took the proprietor's material home to do some work for the proprietor, but forgot to take it on Monday to school because the instruction was that it was to be returned on Monday. And um, the father had left home much earlier on that Monday morning. And then so the proprietor said, since you have the house key, let my driver take you there so you can bring the book because someone was coming for it. She gets in there only to discover that the father was back in the house. His car was parked in the yard. And so she quickly went for the book and decided to go and tell the dad that daddy, I came home to pick something. I'm going back to school. Lo and behold, her mother's best friend was in bed with the father. Two naked adult bodies, very familiar to each other. This is a woman who usually will stand in the gap when their mother traveled abroad for her business endeavors. She thought that was the end. A few weeks or so later, she also caught the mother in a deep, passionate kiss with one of the father's friends. And so this 16-year-old girl, having been able to tell both parents what she had seen, is now battling with whether or not marriage is necessary today. Because all the four characters in the circus are all married people. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians that was read had heard that a young man had gone to bed with a father's wife. And so he comes in chapter 5 and verse 1 to rebuke the Corinth church. And you know, Corinth church was a church that was so endowed. You had all the giftings available there. And they were spoiled with choices, uh, faith adherents. And so Paul comes and rebukes them that they have become arrogant because they haven't shown enough contrite posture. They haven't shown remorse. And therefore, what they were doing should be something that was to be reprehensible. Then he comes to address them later and begins to show them some of the things that they needed to do on church discipline. He addresses the issue of lawsuits amongst believers. Then he comes to this point about glorifying God, both in your body and in your spirit. This is essential for us postmodern people because each one of us here lives on two planes. We live on the visible plane and as well as on the virtual plane. Let me make a quick review here. How many of you are on Facebook? How many of you are on Instagram? WhatsApp? Anybody on WhatsApp? You have a Twitter handle? You're on LinkedIn? All right. Some of us are on social media, and that's the other part. It's called the virtual world. Now, what we are seeing today is that there is a certain inconsistency that is occurring between visible life and virtual life. And there's a need for us to quickly... Make a turnaround and go to God and ask God, help me to live the Christian life on Facebook. 
Let my Facebook reflect that I'm indeed born again, Holy Ghost filled, demon chasing, tongue talking, and Bible wielding. Amen? Amen. Oh, can you say an amen to that one? Now, the image you see on the screen is clearly an individual with a two-faced life. There are individuals that when you meet today, in the morning, they look different and say different things in the night. It's like the iceberg. Paul is trying to tell the church that in honoring Christ with your body, which is his dwelling place, his temple, if you like, you have to understand that you are on this earth. On this earth, you are here, but you are not of the world. And this is why there is a need for a reservoir of God's word in our hearts. Because the only thing that keeps us in abeyance when it comes to promiscuity and infidelity is the word of God. It's our surest foundation. That is why the people of the world cannot relate with purity. Because purity is from a God who himself is pure. It is not something you learn in classroom. It is not something you acquire genetically. It is something you receive as an act of grace. And when grace declares you pure, it is then your duty to endeavor strenuously to stay pure. Sexual relates to instincts and psychological processes of activities connected to physical attraction and intimate physical contact between individuals. And so you have things like sexual acts. You have things like what they call sexuality. That is who you are and how you relate with others. And then we have sensuality, which is debasing of what is supposed to be natural. Now, I have identified eight kinds of sex which is being offered. And particularly for you, the young people. I'll mention them very quickly. The first one is what I call transactional sex. Sex that people transact as though they're doing business. The second one is what I call casual sex. It's so casual that the word casual itself is even jealous of it. The third one is deviant sex. It's a deviation from the norm. And when it comes to matters of sex, when normal becomes boring, abnormal looks attractive. Never forget that. Especially for those of you who are young people. When normal looks boring, abnormal looks attractive. The fourth one is coercive sex. Sex that people are manipulated into having. And Second Samuel chapter 13, the encounter between Tamar is, 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 is no different from that. She was coerced into sex. She was manipulated. It was arm twisting. Amnon was a very diabolic individual and he had equally a shrewd character in the person of Jonadab who was his relative and friend. And he received counsel from him and pretended to be sick because he wanted to go to bed with Tamar. The fifth one is recreational sex. Sex for fun. Sex for fun. And there are many, many people who are just having sex for fun. It's just one of those fun activities. I had gone to South Africa for some training in youth ministry. And uh, I was guest of one big man in the community. 
And he took me on a Friday activity called the Bri. And this was a barbecue steak and night where people come. And he said, oh, a friend was hosting that and he wanted me to witness it for the first time. I said, oh, not bad idea. Let me go there. And so we get to the place. And while the function was going on, towards the end of the event, I noticed people were removing bags from vehicles and swapping bags in other vehicles. So I asked him, what's happening here? He said they were swapping spouses. Swapping spouses. I mean, this is recreation evil at heart. How on earth can you swap your spouse with another? And he told me that sometimes some come single and they, they render those who came as spouses alone. Because they take somebody's spouse and there's no replacement. So you, have, you came to, you go alone. Now the word calls this sophistry. The world calls this enlightenment. <laughs> and it's becoming attractive. Simply because there's a celebrity culture that has even crept into the church. I'm here to announce to you, church, that we are not celebrities. We are royal priesthood. There's a marked difference between a celebrity and a royal. There's a marked difference between a celebrity and a priest. The priest holds his orders to his God. So he is an intermediary between the people and God and God and the people. Whereas a royal holds allegiance to the throne that he sits on. But celebrities draw to themselves and they are all there is to be. They make reference to none but themselves. So literally, you've got to worship a, a celebrity. And interestingly, they've taken a new name called Goddess. Diva. And I see some Christians call themselves Gospel Diva. Do you know what Diva is? Diva means a goddess. One to be worshipped, hallowed, adored. Literally, bow down to that one. And so people are having recreational sex. Now, somewhere in Achimota, and I saw young people having what they call poolside party. Anytime you hear a poolside party, hear the word that comes, grind. For those of you who don't know what grind is, it's when they rub their genitals to the backside of each other, and they grind. It's called grinding. And right in the pool, and this was a junior high school after school, after exam party. Put together by an event organizer. And these young people in the pool were having sex. And I went to the hotel reception and asked them, what's happening here? These are minors. They are doing these things on the blind side of your parents, not recognizing the inherent danger. So there's recreational sex. When we were growing up, we were hearing things like gala. Where young guys who coerce a young girl and sleep with her in turns. But today they have given it a finesse name. It's called twosome, threesome. They have upgraded because everybody is rebranding. And so sin is also rebranding itself into what they call truesome and threesome and foursome. And that's what is happening today. It's recreational sex. It's just fun. Things we do for fun. It's one of those fun activities. Then there is commercial sex. That one has a bell. You don't have a bell here. But usually the individuals are 
crying. My mom is running into deficit. We need some money. We need to raise money. This is commercial activity. That's why now prostitution says they frown on the word prostitute. They want to be called commercial sex workers. It's a commercial activity. I asked one young lady, do you have it in your passport? She says, no. I said, why? But you demand that you are called a commercial sex worker. <laughs> I thought you'd be in your passport as well. So that we know who you are for real. The enemy has created lots and lots of conveniences for our generation. And the Lord is calling each one of us to a place where we'll be able to say, Lord, I yield myself to you. To honor your name and to live for you. If need be, to die for you. Oh, hello church. There is also another form of sex I call appreciative sex. Sex to say thank you. Nowhere else do you find this so common than on the universities and tertiary level campuses. Young girls and guys giving sex in appreciation of what some diabolic lecturer had done for them. In offices where people are giving sex to say thank you for favors done them. It is called appreciative sex. But the eighth one is called sanctified sex. It's not galamse. I remind all the young people who are unmarried and having sex and they think it's, it's fun. I tell them, you're not having fun. You're actually endangering yourself with galamse. Because sex is supposed to be glorious. It's supposed to be God-honoring. It's not supposed to be something that you debase. And once you debase it, you create a problem for society. And so... Today, the maxim is, if it is not that you've been caught, then it is no cheating. So until you are caught, it is no cheating. And that is what people are operating on today. And you find it everywhere you go. And that is why I'm so thankful to God that we can address this on a Sunday morning. Because oftentimes there's a lacuna which is created and people group through the darkness. What then is sex supposed to be? I mean, the Apostle Paul says that the body is not for sexual immorality. The late Dr. Miles Morrow says that when the purpose of a thing is not known, abuse is inevitable. Misuse is also inevitable. And that means that people of God need to know why God designed your sex life. How many know God that sex is good? Oh, hello. Well, have I backslided? No, but you look too holy for my liking, church. <laughs> I don't know, but how many of you know that sex is good? You know, some young person is being careful <laughs> not to lift up their hands. Otherwise, there's going to be trouble. You're going to be going through a BNI or FBI interrogation right from here. But the Lord knows that it is good. In fact, it is out of his goodness. That's why people find it difficult to restrain themselves. It's so good that not too many people will want to miss it. And over the period in my study and my work, I've come to the conclusion of five reasons why sex exists for us. And we should pay attention to them. The first one is a covenant formation. Covenant formation. Sex helps us to form a covenant. That is why the Apostle Paul says that do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. 
is a covenant formation. And Jesus spoke about it in Matthew 19 as well. And so two becoming one flesh, the fusing of the genitalia and bodies, spirit, soul together is a covenant forming. I've sat with countless young people who have formed blood covenants and using sex as a seal. I've many young boys who are into occultic practices that requires a token of a virgin's blood. So what they do is they engage in conversations with young girls and as long as you're a virgin, they're going to pray upon you until they get you to bed. And the idea is that they sacrifice your virgin token to appease whatever they are worshipping. The second mandate is the procreation mandate. We know that through that, in Genesis 4.1, we read, Now Adam knew his wife Eve. How did he know? He knew here is intercourse. There is some intercourse activity. And the result of it was Cain, who is a byproduct of that intercourse. And we see procreation there. The third purpose I have seen is fellowship and intimacy. And so for young men and women and husbands and wives who are just having sex, which is just genitals coming together, and there's no intimacy, there's no fellowship, there's a problem. There's a problem. God must give us the capacity to be intimate with one another. Those of us who are married. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I call this one bedroom protocols or palatial treatment. It's like going to the palace. You require certain protocol to be able to enter the palace. And marital sex is not the same as infidelity. Infidelity is, is subservient to marital sex. Oh, hallelujah. Because with marital sex, you can even pray in the name of the Lord Jesus whilst you're having it. Oh, amen. For the young people, I ask them, it says that whatever you do in word or in deed, do it in the name of the Lord. So I ask them, when you and your boyfriend feel like having sex, hold each other's hand and say, Lord, we stand here today and under the influence of hormones, are determined to engage ourselves in sex. Lord, we invoke your presence and we do this in your name. Why can't you do that? Because there's something wrong there. But the husband and wife can hold hands together because they come under the covering of the Most High God and they can pray and enjoy it. There's a marked difference between that which is on the street and that which is in the temple. But sad to report that there are temple prostitutes today. Solomon is told, take me with you and run away. Be my kin and take me to your room. We will be happy together, drink deep, and lose ourselves in love. No wonder all women love you. That's Solomon's credential. All women loved him. And we know his repertoire. We won't go there. The fourth purpose of sex is to consummate companionship. I mean, the lawyers always talk about consummation of a union, and there have been unions that have had to be annulled because there's non-consummation. May God give us grace to consummate our companionship. Because Malachi 2 verse 14 says that God was a witness to that union. I hear a lot of people talk about God hates divorce. God hates divorce. Indeed, God hates divorce. But in that same passage, God also hates treachery. 
Unfortunately, I don't hear many people talk about treacherous treatment of spouses. The husbands who are treating their wives so treacherously. And wives who are being so treacherous towards their husbands. And then they go and find a caveat, an alibi, and God hates divorce. It doesn't work that way. Don't be treacherous towards your spouse and tell them God hates divorce. Be kind, loving, generous, and gentle to your spouse because they are your covenant spouse. Oh, amen. The fifth purpose I have seen about sex is the physical pleasure. And oftentimes, this is what the world offers us. They make it look like all there is is an icing on a cake. Some new ice cream that you can just enjoy. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Hmm. Be intoxicated always in her love. Oh, hallelujah. Are there married women here? I have a news for you. Hello. Can I see your hand if you're a married woman? Okay. Now hear this. <laughs> he says, let her breast fill you at all times. Talks about satisfaction. Oh, amen. Amen. I hope I still have not backslided. Am, am I still in the faith? Now, I witnessed an interesting situation where a woman was breastfeeding a younger child and the older son, who is about six or seven, was standing there. And the husband of this woman approaching the woman to place his hands under the breast. And the son runs to the father and hits him on the hand. You saw her, <laughs> This son, with the impudence of a cockroach, looks at his father, the landlord, he being a tenant, hits the father's hand and tells him to take his hand off there because that is not for him. I have news for you women. Children can only be suckled with the breast. But the fathers are to enjoy the breast. There's a difference between suckling and enjoying. Men, take delight in the breast of your wife. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Some women should shout an amen to the Lord. Some women, some women don't want their husbands to touch it. Of course, some men, their palm is like sandpaper. Sandpaper. The moment they touch you, you feel blisters all over. It's so harsh. So, women, give the men some manicure. Oh, hallelujah. Buy some hand cream for your husband. Before he comes near, let him, you know, <laughs> rub it in his palm for smooth sailing activity. Praise the Lord. Oh, can we still praise the Lord? It's interesting how the body of the woman is the responsibility of the man. And that is not to say that you have unfettered access. No, that's not what it means. It simply is that you are a steward of your wife's body. And stewardship means that you're going to render account on how you treated that body. How you handled that body. And the body of the husband is equally that of the wife. Oh, amen. It is mutual responsibility, mutual accountability. The wife has to account to the use of the body. To the husband. And so, Paul says that each man must work so hard that he will please his wife. There ought to be pleasing of spouses. There are people in marriage who are displeased with each other. 
the wife must also please the husband. So there is no akpa. There is no swindling in this matter. There is no defrauding in this matter. And when you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says God desires your sanctification. Then he goes further and says that each one of us must carry our body in holiness and in honor. Holiness is unto God. Honor is seen by people. And that is why when Israel was looking for a king, they paraded the children. They came in numbers. I mean, the tall, good-looking guy appears and he said, oh, it must be him. He said, no, man looks at the outward, but I look at the heart. Each one of us, by the grace of God, must pass the two litmus tests of private consecration and public character when it comes to this matter of sex. And so, Scripture admonishes us to drink water from our own system. You don't drink water from a system which is not yours. On a screen, you see fish jumping from one water bowl into another which he considers bigger. But look at it. What is the probability of success? It means that each one of us must ask God for grace to be able to say to ourselves that I shall drink water only from my own system. And you can go and read Proverbs chapter 5 verse 15 to 21. And he posed a question. Would you disperse your waters on the street for everybody to drink? And he says, do not go to another man's wife because it's a recipe for death. May God give us the grace. Oh, may God give us the grace. So what do we do? Proverbs says that stolen water is sweet. And bread eating in secret is pleasant. Proverbs 9 verse 17. When you steal water and you drink, it's tasty. When you eat bread in secret places, it's pleasant. But take note, Proverbs 20, 17 says, Bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravels. Is it any wonder that sex is creating nightmare for many people? Because you can't toy with it. Whether single or married, Hebrews 13 verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable amongst all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. God will judge. And so God is inviting us to move away from personal promiscuity to personal purity. We have a choice to make. Are you going to stay in a space of promiscuity and justify it and try to rationalize it? I did some basic research on matters of purity and I discovered that products offer us a pure content. I saw this in Switzerland and they have Nestle Pure Life. Why are they using Pure Life? Because they want you to know it's unadulterated. It's without dilution. It's without pollutants. I also discovered that whenever they are auditioning artists, they want pure talent. They don't want make-beliefs. They don't want individuals who are not pure. They're looking for the pure, authentic, artistic desire, skills in a person and that they can polish and fine-tune it into something else. I also discovered that when we are going to buy gold jewelry, the jewelers look for categories of purity. They have ranging from 10 carats 
to 14 carat to 18 to 24 carat. And they have to subject it to all kinds of tests to ensure that it is pure. In my book, Becoming a Beauty for His Glory, I share a story. When I wanted to throw my weight about and give my wife a mouth-watering deal. I saw one of these uh, Nigerians selling um, some jewelry. And I thought it was a good one. And he said, Master, gold, gold, gold. And I don't know gold because I don't work in a gold refinery. So I said, okay, give it to me. Then he gave me the price. Said, oh, this is goodbye. Then I go home and I show it to my wife, Evelyn, and say, hey, today I have a surprise for you. I got you gold jewelry. He said, gold? Are you sure? And the temptation is that women will always ask you, how much did you buy it? And my principle is this, husband, anytime you buy something for your wife and she asks you how much did you buy, don't tell her the price. Because the moment you tell her, you go like, oh, you don't know how to buy anything. They have fooled you. I could have bought it for cheap. <laughs> so don't just tell anybody. Just keep it. It's a gift for you. And so she took it. I said, oh, this is not gold. Just holding it, she said, it's not gold. I said, really? She said, this is called Abyssinia. I said, Abby what? The Abbey was not my problem, but senior. Because I knew about Abyssinia. <laughs> and then she subjected it to light, candle, and it turned black. And she said, if it was gold, it was not going to turn black. Do you know? He, she said, this is called fool's gold. I said, man. So even those who are dealing gold are looking for pure gold. Pure gold. Then I made a journey to the drug dealers because we used to buy young children from St. Petersburg in Russia because I was working for a Swedish NGO and we buy these children who were in the tunnels. We buy them. And the drug peddlers actually look for pure drugs. Even cocaine is tested for its purity. Wow! Come to think of it. Products want purity. Auditioners want purity. Gold jewelers want purity. Even drug dealers want pure drugs. Then when you come to God, Habakkuk says that God's eyes are pure. In his distress, he cried. And he said, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Habakkuk was troubled. That the righteous was being pummeled by evil people. In the cool of the day, God would descend in the garden of Eden before the fall. And it was a pure relationship. And they said, we heard the voice of you. And we realized we were naked. This morning, if you've been ripped off your garment of purity. If it's been taken off like tunic off you. Our pure garment is what the enemy is looking for. Now you see, purity has been adorned unto us. It is our duty to keep it on. The presence of God supplies purity. Moses saw the burning bush. And the ground he was standing was holy ground. Because Yahweh was there. He was a God who was present among his people. And we know that God dwells in temples. 
And so God then told them to produce the Ark of the Covenant. That is to show that they were in a relationship with God. And so they carried the Ark of the Covenant that led them into battle. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, fathers and mothers in the Lord, the enemy is not impressed with our shoes. The enemy is not impressed with our eloquence. The enemy is not impressed with our handsome looks or beautiful hair or whatever. He is jealous of your purity. He wants to rid you of your pure garment. Because it is that garment that gives you confidence to go before God. And so you read the history of the people of Israel and they have to build temples. They have to do all kinds of things. And there were different demarcations in terms of holy standards. They had the Holy of Holies, which was the heart of you today. And Jesus wants to be there. He wants to dwell in the Holy of Holies with you. And then he said that you are the temple of the Most High God because God dwells in you. He says you have been bought at a price. Honor God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. Remember, your body is not your own. Your body is not your own. It belongs to God. And both your body and spirit are God's own. And so whatever you do in this body, you will render an account to God. It is my prayer that the church of God will rise. And one thing about temples is that they always had a place where there was fire constantly burning. I traveled to the rural area and I saw this. There's a threat to our fireplace. And when I got to the rural area, I noticed that they had these three legs stool or oven. And anytime they are done with cooking, they will remove the residual fire from it. And it becomes ash with simmering fire. And one of the things that struck me was that the dogs with ticks, that's their sleeping place. When a Christian's fire doses out, it's snuffed out. The enemy makes your heart his dwelling place. And it brings things that defile your temple. But it's the same temple that God wants to dwell therein. And so somebody said that five days a week my body is a temple. But the other two days they are an amusement park. God wants each one of us to be on his altar. Because on the altar of God burns his presence. And his presence comes with fire to burn every undesirable desires in us. So that our worship to God will be a fragrance. Unfortunately, there are some people who offer stench to God. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, I appeal to you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable, and perfect will of God. What offering are you offering to God? Would your offering be acceptable to God? 
Both Cain and Abel offered a sacrifice to God. One of was a sweet savoring fragrance to God. The other was a stench. And the Bible says that Cain and his offering were both rejected. But Abel and his offering were accepted. I pray. Like the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4 verse 18. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus. The things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, and a well-pleasing one to God. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, for us to offer any sacrifice of purity in our marriage or in our relationships for you, the young ones, we need to go back to the refiner's fire. Malachi says, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a laundress soap. He was set as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. This morning, may the Lord touch you with his fire. Fire from heaven. Burn everything that is a chaff that will not glorify his name. Purify my heart. Let me be as gold and precious silver. Purify my heart. Let me be as gold. Let me be as gold. Pure gold. Pure gold. Refine as far. My heart's one desire is to be holy, Lord. Is to be Holy, I set apart for you, Lord. I choose to be, you want to choose to be? Holy, set apart for you, my master. I'm ready to do your will. Ready to do your will. Purify my heart. Lord, cleanse me from within. From within. And make me holy. Purify my heart. Cleanse me from my sin. I said, deep within, deep within, refine as fire, fine as fire, my heart one desire, my heart one, can I invite you to please stand to your feet, let us all stand, is to be, I choose to be, 
holy, set apart I chose to be holy and set apart for you, my master, ready to do your will. Are you ready to do his will? To do your will. Oh, ready to do your You want to lift up your right hand towards heaven? Oh, ready to do your Are you ready to do the Lord's will? Oh, ready.